swinging from a seven-story window, throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell. It's astounding the lengths I'll go to convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help. Yeah, I am waving while I drown. Don't bother swimming out to save me. I will only drag you down. I'll try to use your body as a life raft. Cause if there's room enough for one, there must be room enough for two. I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset. Sipping on the savory water till my liver turns blue. Put down your pens, put down your pencils, step away from the keyboards, and settle in for this week's episode of The Writer's Block, a Muddied Waters Media production. First and foremost, allow me to thank Don and Sally Wright for giving birth to me, because without them, none of this would be possible. And uh, also, to Stateside Cava, for the cava that I'm drinking on today's episode, to everybody at Stateside Oh, yeah. Also, let me thank the Narcissist Cookbook for allowing me to use his music at the beginning and the end of every episode. And to all of those, allow me to say, Bula Vanaka. So, uh, big show today. Uh, very excited. I have on Shane Big Git Sweeney. Uh, been looking forward to getting him on for quite some time, mainly because... I wanted to have the best beard to ever appear on Muddied Waters Media to come on. Because, I mean, look at that thing is amazing. Jason Lyons, your friendly neighborhood libertarian, has nothing on this beard. Absolutely nothing at all from Jason Lyons on the beard factor <laughs> in comparison to Shane Big Get Sweeney. Shane, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? What's going on, man? It, look, I'm trying to work with Jason. He lives a little bit up the road. I'm trying to I'm trying to teach him the ways, but he's he's not listening. He's over there straightening it with a with a beard straightener. Yeah, with like his curling iron thing that he it's it's actually like a hot comb sort of situation. It's supposed to straighten and make it look bigger, so it's kind of artificial. It's kind of like a um a well endowed beard, but artificial. Right. It, it's like putting in. It's like beard extensions. That he's like mm-hmm. adding. He it, it's like uh, the women that put on too much makeup, throw on the extensions, <laughs> throw on the spanks. That's what Jason <laughs> is doing to his beard. What he 
What he doesn't know is that that's actually harmful for your beard. Putting too much heat on it can actually break it and destroy it. Take care of your beard, right. and you too could have this. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's a magnificent. Like I am jealous of your beard. Like I'm not jealous of many people's because typically not having a beard means that you're higher up on the evolutionary chart. So I mean, it just just some not, would make that mistake an argument. Right. I mean, it's just the truth. But uh, like, so this right here is uh, a week and a half of not shaving. Oh, you're looking good. I know. Not yeah, bad. I know. It's like it's like two o'clock shadow. But <laughs> hey, you know, you're working on it. I know. I'm, I'm doing what I can. So, uh, yeah, very excited to have you on today. Um, since I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> mainly, mainly just because it's an opportunity to uh, upset Spike and Jason in one show. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should be easy to do. They're highly triggerable. That's true. The snowflakes that they are. <laughs> um, so it was actually really funny because you were the first person that I've had on this show that was singing along with the opening music. <laughs> I actually, I, I, um, and I forgot to follow up with them. Ever since I heard that song, it was the line, I'm running from the government. And I've loved that song ever since. Yep. And I, I like, I'm trying to find it. You got to hook me up after the show. I have to listen to it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, the song is called, um, I should know that, The Good Ship You by The Narcissist Cookbook. Um, yeah, uh, I met that dude on, I met that dude online. Somebody sent me the, uh, you saw the Courtney video that we did for the 100th yeah. episode. Yeah. So the, the seven minute song about conspiracy theories. Somebody sent me that while I was living in Alaska last summer. And um, uh, one of our regular, one of our regular listeners, Brian Wolf. Uh, sent that to me. He goes, Hey, I feel like this is something you would like. And so I watched it and I was like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> this, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was just kind of like, all right, but that was the only video the guy had uploaded. So I was like, okay, well he did this one really great thing. And then one day I was like, Oh, I wonder if he's on Facebook. So I found him on Facebook and he's like, my album's on Apple uh, on iTunes. So go get it now. And so, because I'm I'm enslaved by uh, by Apple. Yeah, I have Apple Pride. You can, as you can see. Yes, you, you and me are in the same boat on that one. Um, Mine is actually, and the reason why, like, I'm really happy about it is music is the only reason why I'm stuck with Apple. Like, I care less about my phone other than like learning the functions to to use it, obviously. But I, whenever I was, I was a kid. Every paycheck I got, it was probably like $75 uh, a week. I worked at a breakfast shop on the weekends. I spent every penny on music. I mean, from Kiss albums, unfortunately, I could have been listening to better stuff, um, uh, all the way down the game that Bob Seger on. And I just, I have this library that's just full of just stuff. And when they were like, oh, yeah, you could get an Android, I was like, but can I bring my music? And when that was a no, I've been stuck ever since. Right. Yeah. When, uh, so I start. I, I started Android, and um, what did I have first? I had the uh, Motorola Droid, and loved it. Thought it was a great phone. Enjoyed the crap out of that phone. The next one I got was a the Lightning Bolt. I don't remember who made it. it I think it's not THC, but that's what I the THC Lightning Bolt because it was slow and awful. Um, <laughs> See, I didn't have a smartphone until 2014 when like I had my own place and was paying my own bills. I was like, well, hell, if I'm paying, I'm going to get rid of this flip phone right. and, and I'm going to get myself a, a, a smartphone. 
Yeah, when I God, uh, what a world. when I flipped from when I finally flipped from those to a smartphone, I was like, "This is the worst decision I've ever made with my life," because now I'm going to be a slave to this phone, and I have been ever since. Yep, it happens all the time. Yeah, every day. I actually have um, when I'm actually watching y'all's shows. I'm I work twelve hours a day at at my restaurant, and I have a cord attached so i can have my phone playing in the in the corner so it doesn't die right and i'm just on that thing constantly because i'm there all the time right yeah i mean that's how i am at the bar that i'm working at right now it's it's bad but it's great because i get to do stuff like this right it's all right yeah (laughs) um so how is it that you came to meet Jason Lyons and become a libertarian. I'm not sure if that was the order that happened, but whichever one you want to start with. No, I made Jason into a libertarian. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we'll go with uh, it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, and he'll, he'll tell you, um, I went and was on his show. Um, I can't remember the date, but I was on his show prior to him joining Muddy Waters. And after the show, we just had a general, like, and I'll beat Spike to it. I don't know how long we're in. I'm an anarchist. Um, so Not I'll nine minutes that. that beats Spike's record by a good nine minutes. Nailed it. Um, uh, so anyway, we were having a show just based off of um, people were freaking out about what anarchy is, and I went on there just kind of like, Hey, I'm not crazy, I'll tell you just a little bit the intro stuff. Um, and afterwards, I talked him into becoming a Libertarian Party member because he was like non affiliated with any party. And was he was this voice doing this awesome work. And I said, dude, why don't you like on the ground get into uh, the party and try to help your local community politically if you believe and you're already entrenched? So that's how he got into the party. But me being a libertarian, it was like this slow, logical progression. And it was like I was an indoctrinated. Um, I, I don't think I was old enough. I was going to vote for McCain. Uh, and when he was singing bomb, 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 I ran, I was, eh, and, and I voted for Romney. I voted for Nikki Haley here in South Carolina, oh. but, but, um, what happened was I just kind of started seeing, uh, um, I, the veil started slowly lifting as, as I started like, look, why are we in Afghanistan? Why are we in Iraq? That was Afghanistan. But I see friends that smoke weed. They're not bad people. And gay people are cool. I don't understand. Why do Republicans hate all of these people all at once? All Could of it them. Be all of these people are the issue? And as I asked questions, I got shitty, stupid answers. Um, you, you can say shitty. It really like we're Okay, cool. I, we're not on a t- radio. Yeah, I was going to say, we're not on the 10-second delay. We don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I'm used to radio, uh, so, so I, have to, I have to censor myself. But yeah, I got really shitty answers from, from people that I respected. And I just, I, I didn't find Ron Paul, unfortunately. So I just kind of had to like, I was waiting along and then, um, I found this video, Steve French, go look him up. Um, uh, he debated for the governor's race in I think 2014. Um, and I heard him, uh, in South Carolina, by the way, I realized not many people are from South Carolina. That's true. Um, but he started talking about taxation being theft and, and legalizing cannabis. And I was like, Oh my God, where has this guy been? And then from there and on, I found Ron Paul, Gary Johnson started up, and it was just, uh, I think six months after becoming a member of the, the Libertarian Party, I was all of a sudden an anarchist and, and have been ever since. Now, all of a sudden, um, two years ago, I was uh, elected. Uh, I don't know why, 
but I respect it as the uh, second vice chair of the South Carolina State Party. So okay. It's pretty awesome. No, yeah, definitely. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, Brett Corrieri on, who is the guy that got me into libertarian, like really opened my eyes to libertarianism and got me kind of into the party. Um, and I was talking to him about it on the show, and he goes, what was that, like five years ago? And I said, yeah. And he's like, aren't you an anarchist by now? <laughs> and I just... <laughs> Well, like, the, the old joke is, for those that don't know, uh, what's the difference between a libertarian and an anarchist? About six, six months. months. Yeah, and then you go, oh, the government sucks. Yeah. But but so it, I'll, I'll flip the table just real quick because I'm interested because I always ask minarchists this. I know you're a minarchist. What's holding you back? What's the, the main issue that holds you from becoming an anarchist? That was – okay, so that was, uh, that was the same question that Brett asked me. And I said, so I get it, like – Everybody in this little area would, we'd all agree. This is how we're going to run it. And there's no going to no overlords that are going to come by and say, you can't plant that sign there because it's not three feet from the sidewalk, which is an actual law that's here. Uh, and I found that out yep. during election season. Um, but I was like, so, you know, we'd all agree on the certain bound of things. My big issue came with if I were, and there's no, obviously there's no uh, national currency, you know, we mm-hmm. just kind of either we barter or, you know, we use silver or gold or Bitcoin or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. If I were to come up there and visit you, if you weren't using silver, whatever, whatever currency we were using, like how would there be some sort of national, like well, how, if- would, how would you do national commerce? And Brett said, sounds like a, good time for somebody to open an exchange in that area. So that way you could do this way. And I just went, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's and, really, honestly, it's the market provides. And when people, the invisible hand of the market, people hear that and they go, Oh, you just believe in like some God creature that's doing this. It's like, no, it's because when somebody sees a problem, there's somebody out there that will say, wow, I'll just make some money off of this. This right. would be great. Then you have just a, a wee bit of uh, a fee on the exchange and and besides i mean prior to national currencies how did people exchange goods i mean it was it's i have something that you want you have something that i want let's trade and if it's oh i don't want what you have is like oh well everybody takes this thing which is gold here and and generally speaking because it's universal i mean that's money is independent of the government as much as they want you to believe but money is just whatever everyone generally holds valuable exactly. and gold is by far uh, held more valuable than most things. I mean, it's useful uh, in, in different ways and, and it's shiny and nice on, on people's fingers. True. I mean, from, from multiple uses, people will just gold. exchange it. Gold is much more valuable than this piece of paper. That's not actually backed by anything. But not since 1973, I believe 76, uh, maybe uh, Nixon did it. So I was thinking it was like 1972, 73. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I can't remember which one it was. There was so much happening in the 70s. It's a wild time that oh. I wasn't alive for. Cra- crazy <laughs> times happening in the 70s that are almost parallel today. Uh, as far as the market provides, I saw the greatest example of that. I think I actually read the article yesterday. Um, Burger King. Have you heard what Burger King is doing? In LA, uh, other than being terrible, no. 
They are delivering Whoppers to people stuck in traffic if you order. Like That's awesome. Like somebody on like a motorcycle or a bike or something will drive will ride a Whopper up to your car and give oh, you whatever you ordered. That's simply just Oh my god, the capitalism there is amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I guess they tested it out in Mexico City and they found that it worked really well. And because, you know, Mexico City, that seems like a good place to test out. Well, if you can if you can get a burger across town without the cartel killing you, this has got to work. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're just dealing with the Crips and the Bloods there. I mean, much (laughs) that's much easier than the cartel. Look, there's no Colombian neckties (laughs) happening. People do get shot, but it's not as crazy. But, But, you know. Then you're going to build that wall. It's going to be real hard to get that Whopper across the border. Right. That works. <laughs> but yeah, so they tested it out in Mexico City, and now they're uh, going to start doing it in L.A. And I was reading that article, and I said, anybody who says that capitalism's a failure has not read this article. <laughs> well, the other thing that Burger King did, and I wish that their food didn't make me sick. Um, sorry, Burger King. You're doing awesome stuff. I'll pat you on the back, but your food's garbage. Um, what they were doing is... I think it was on their app. If your GPS locale was inside of a McDonald's within a, I think it was a certain distance or so you, if you ordered Burger King inside of a McDonald's, you go inside and you order Burger King. It was like 99 cent Whopper or it was like free Whopper. It was something like that. It was like, they were giving away food. If you clowned on McDonald's. That's and amazing. I don't remember if that was an absolute hoax or if that was for real, but I, I heard that and I was like, this is amazing. This is exactly what I want the market doing. Just guerrilla marketing warfare. It's awesome. I benefit from this. Yes. <laughs> we all benefit. And you know they're still turning a profit. You you know that. Somehow. I'm not quite sure how. <laughs> because it's not real food. So <laughs> like the 15 cents they sent, spent on soy and meat flavored product in order to make your Whopper for you, they're still making out like bandits. And then they're clowning McDonald's. It's just oh, it's, it's so amazing. It's just, it's the circle of capitalism and I love it. It's uh, the capitalist lifestyle. It's just so, there's, it's so much more fun than standing in bread lines. I don't like people. I don't, I don't want to stand in a line with people and have to have that awkward conversation. No, I hardly talk to people when I'm in a line at Walmart. That, that's the reason I go through the drive-thru. I want to have my transaction only talking to one person. Maybe, I don't even want to talk to them. I don't, but I understand the necessity of me speaking with them. I have to be like, <laughs> they're going to say, what do you want? Sometimes just as rudely as that sounded. And I'm going to say, I want the double Whopper with cheese. Make it a large with a Coke. There you go. And then they go, that's going to be $8.72. And I go, great. And then they say, first or second window. If it's first window, I'm upset because now I have to talk to one more person. Uh, there's, it's, it, there's an extra see, that's person. See, the problem with social media is we're, we're fine talking so much to all these people online. But the moment people show up, we're like, so, can I just get a burger? <laughs> As soon as, so every time that I do a show, you know, Tuesdays, Thursdays, whatever day I end up doing a show, like I have such a great time talking with whoever it is that I'm on the show with. The moment that show ends, I might be like messaging with Spike or something like that, but I will go, I will leave my, I will leave my house and I will go to a Kava bar 
and I will sit there and just hope to God nobody speaks to me. <laughs> yep. Because I like having the computer in between us. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I like talking to people on my terms. Right. It's whenever you get forced into those scenarios, it's like, God, I wish there was a computer I could push a button and then just things happen. But like, um, can I just sign man, out I, of this conversation right now? <laughs> but, but that's like, so, so in my position as, as a uh, second vice chair, I use it as like a, like, I'm just talking to regular people. And we had a guy come through that was fixing our AC and I posted about it. Cause it was just a really cool moment. He didn't know anything about uh, Ron Paul, about libertarianism at all. And I started talking to him and the guy is a libertarian. He just doesn't know it yet. He's right. just, he, he loves history and this whole deal. Those type of conversations where we get to do that, that's where I like to talk. This whole standing in line and somebody goes, wish they had more registers open. That's not a conversation I'm interested in. I need some interesting things to talk about. Sometimes that turns into an inter- I'm like, why can't we have the self-checkouts? That way I don't have to wait <laughs> on this person. Hey, I, we could just, let's do the $15 an hour. That'll speed that thing right up. I know. <laughs> we don't have to deal with just, any of this. Let's just pay 30 bucks an hour and then we'll, everybody will be able to self-check out. I'm tired of going <laughs> in there for my pack of tortillas and cheese that I buy way too often. And uh, that's all I want. And the person in front of me has like two weeks worth of groceries. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to play on my phone because I'm not talking to you, but I'm that's- judging you. I have headphones in and I don't, th- I think we need to have a cultural change because people don't understand headphones mean leave me alone. Right. And they don't get it. You can have over the ear, like you have on now, you can have uh, headphones in, you could be talking to somebody on the phone. Somebody will like uh, verbally tug your shirt and say, get eye contact, please. Was, what are we doing? Why? This is Why? assault. Stop. <laughs> I realized what, so when I was doing real estate a couple of years ago, uh, I realized mm-hmm. the easiest way to meet people was to go to a coffee shop open my computer, start typing. It doesn't matter if I was typing anything of, you know, value. It just typing with headphones in. I would talk to more people that way than any other. You put a sign over your head. Talk to me, please. Right. Exactly. I'm like, I don't know why this, this look right here of means talk to me, but it does. So it's curse. Hey, just run with it. Uh, so I am so excited about today's show. I had I I actually had to prep a little mentally. <laughs> I did too. Yeah. Um just because like I had to prep mentally because you know like Spike and I are recovering addicts. So anytime I start talking about drugs, it kind of gets like I start remembering. And so today I was like <laughs> I was like, "Okay, you're just going to study all of the charts and the facts and the figures and you're not going to think about how fun they are." And then I was like <laughs> Going through, like I was going through, I was like, amount spent annually, $47 billion or more. Well, that seems pointless. And then 2017 drug arrest, 1,600 or 1,632,921. Well, come on. We already have the, and then, <laughs> then I was like, <laughs> and then I started thinking about the time I got arrested for possession, which uh, marijuana possessions make up 90.8% of all marijuana arrests. <laughs> Cause that seems <laughs> worth it. And then see, see, I got stuck. Uh, I started looking into, uh, uh, cause we're, we're looking into like the link between uh, the war on drugs and, and, uh, um, financing terrorism. Mm-hmm. And I started there 
And then I found out something completely different than what I was looking for, where apparently uh, uh, around March 13th, Donald Trump was considering labeling Mexican drug cartels terrorist, terrorist organizations. organizations. And I go... Oh my God! The war on terror is coming to Mexico. Yeah, I <laughs> and, and L.A. where Burger King will be now getting shot by cartels. Right. I I did not know that that was a thing either until I was researching this stuff and I was like, what? How did that just go straight by me? I'm all over this stuff. I know. I that blew my mind that I missed that because I found I found I, articles I, on Reason. I found articles on Fox. I found articles on uh, New York. Post Times, all all talking about it. I was like, "How did this get past me?" And, and most libertarians, I listen at like uh, anybody that knows me personally. I show them like the list of podcasts. Y'all are one of like maybe I'll give a real conservative number ten to fifteen podcasts that I listen to. Some right. of them with multiple shows like y'all's, and I have so many that I listen to them all on double speed, so that I can like bang through them all. And from Tom Woods to y'all to Ron Paul to uh, Launchpad Media, who uh, I'm, I'm helping write for, and um, and not a one of them caught that. And I was like, how did Ron Paul miss this? I must have zoned out or something. Yeah. There's no way I missed that. That that was my exact that was my exact thought because I'm either reading like The Hill or Reason or not rare anymore, obviously, but you know Drudge Report. Uh, or whatever people are posting on my f- Facebook feed, Twitter. Like, I'm constantly reading the news just so I have stuff to talk about. And I read that today, and I was like, oh, when did that? March. Of this year. Of this year. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, I thought that was a news story, and it's not. I mean, it's it's a scary thing, because the way that, um, uh, the way that they look at terrorist organizations is, Um, If you look at the Patriot Act and the NDAA, whenever they look at a suspect for uh, a a terrorist organization, they don't just look at that guy. They look at anybody connected and then anybody else connected and then anybody else connected. So now you've taken it from some rando uh, ISIS sympathizer on Twitter to now anybody that deals drugs that is linked to a Mexican cartel in some way. If the drugs somehow came through – Mexico in any way, shape, or form, right. anyone after that point is now a suspected terrorist if this comes out. You are now a part of a technical terrorist network. So that means like everybody's local dealer who's just a guy in an apartment and you come up, knock, here you go, thanks, deuces, that dude's a terrorist now. He's now Al-Qaeda essentially. Right. Like how in the world <laughs> it's bizarre. Yeah, it's So I actually, I wrote a paper on this in college. Um, I was talking about how to end terrorism. And I said, the easiest way to end terrorism is to legalize drugs, which this is the same class that I wrote a paper on how if we got rid of childhood obesity, it would wreck the American economy. (laughs) Not wrong. It, I'm not. I like I said I I figured out all of the money. I figured it all out and I wrote it and the teacher I she's when I gave her the paper, she read it and she said I you made me feel really dirty because I started to agree with you. 
I love how it's dirty to find out, oh God, this is awful. Yeah, don't don't let's get rid of let's not get rid of fat children because that will end up wrecking our economy. Um, we need jobs. Bring in the diabetes. Right. <laughs> like I took it all the way from like to the t- from the time they were like five until they were adults, and I was like, if you're not fat when you're a kid, you have less chance of heart disease. You have less chance of diabetes. You have less chance of. And so the medical, the entire medical establishment is just screwed. <laughs> And, well, and then you look at um, ending the war on drugs and all that. I mean, and, and war on terrorism with with um, Afghanistan and the poppy fields. Pharmaceuticals is is done, right? Done because so, that's where they're getting. At, I presume because there's obviously no paper trail that that the average person can find, right? But somehow Afghanistan went from, and I can't remember the exact numbers. It was it was a small percentage of uh, opium production to now they are the number one in the world. And I can't remember the percentage that they produce. So according to the UNODC's World Drug Report of 2007, the potential value of Afghanistan's 2006 opium opium harvest accruing to farmers, laboratory owners, and Afghan traffickers reached about $3.1 billion. $3.1 billion. In the same report... uh, the UNODC reported that the international drug trade is a $400 billion business worldwide and that 43 of the foreign terror organizations, the uh, DEA reports, uh, 60% of them are linked to drug trafficking. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing, though. The way that they're linked, and I looked in a little deeper around the was it 2006, 2009? I can't remember exactly uh, when this lady, and can't remember her name either. She was looking at that link, and it's it's um, not as large a percentage as uh, is advertised by the DEA, because obviously okay. as government organizations go, they want to have a job. Right. Um, and everybody's heard, and libertarians have heard, how the FBI sets up terrorists like what they find is an unhinged person who goes, well, you know, maybe Al Qaeda's got a point there, and then they have somebody meet him and radicalize him, and then go, here's a bunch of weapons, let's go blow something up, and then they enable it, and then they catch him right before he does it. That's them thwarting it. And it was actually the guy wouldn't have done anything had y'all not shown up. <laughs> they found that the DEA was doing this stuff with um, uh, drugs and terrorism. Uh, at the one that I remember was from 2009. These um, in Ghana, Ghana is friendly with um, Americans and has an extradition treaty. Uh, I believe they, they at least will, for money, just ship them over whenever they want. Um, so they lured a guy out of Mali who's connected with, uh, uh, I, th- I think it was Al Qaeda. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, they lure him out uh, into Ghana to have a meeting. And the, the informant says, hey, or just a regular drug dealer goes, hey, can you find anybody that's linked with uh, this terrorist organization? The guy goes, sure, I'll find somebody. And actually what he did was he actually snagged a buddy of his that needed money who would pretend to be from Al-Qaeda. And they all got wrapped up in this and they all got sent to prison for a cert- for uh, an amount of time. But because it was like they got shipped out to uh, America and was tried this whole deal. And this guy, he the judge was like, look, it's not as big. It's sure it's drugs, but it's nowhere near like Al Qaeda people doing all of this stuff. It's all stage stuff from the DEA. 
So like ISIS and Al Qaeda, most of, most of ISIS's money was coming from uh, extortion and um, oil that they were seizing in lands that they, they grabbed along the way. But so their link to the drug war is they're smugglers. And their main, apparently their main uh, recruiting tool isn't Islam. It's criminals, people that um, are addicted to drugs and have already been to jail multiple times. They uh, bring them in, then they radicalize them that way. And they already are, are uh, because they're criminals in this, like, it, and it's never just a regular uh, uh, addict. It's always the most, the more violent type that they get. They convince those guys to go off and do the crazy stuff, but they're just a smuggler's run with the drugs. Right. So if you, you could actually take out a chunk of their recruiting tools, if you were able to, to shut down the war on drugs, there would be no more, no more smuggling, no more allowing them through and all that kind of crap. I, the, I mean, obviously, the drug war has failed. I, drugs, drugs won. Drugs so won. Let's just call it. Yeah, drug, drugs definitely won. Like, you, you can call it a. You can now change it if you want to, because America hates to lose wars. You can just call it like the drug conflict, like you did with Vietnam. But <laughs> you know, like you, sure, okay, drugs won. No matter what you say, drugs have not stopped entering the country. You've got uh, 33 states that have medical marijuana, plus the District of Columbia. You've got, oh, God, I can't remember, nine states? Is it nine states that have legalized marijuana, plus a district? Uh, I think recreational. Yeah, yeah. Re- recreational. Uh, you've got nine states. You've got uh, Denver that just legalized, or decriminalized, sorry, decriminalized uh, mushrooms. Uh <laughs> psilocybin uh here in florida you can now get uh medical ketamine uh you can get medical ketamine you can uh lots of places are starting to do medical mdma um which if for anybody watching slash listening if you've never tried mdma i highly recommend it (laughs) i mean i highly recommend it the first time I ever did it, I that really changed the entire course of the rest of my life. Because, <laughs> yeah, smoking pot was fun, but then I did MDMA. And, you know, <laughs> what other great things are out there? Um, <laughs> not that I recommend you do that. But if you haven't tried it, I... I would be hard if somebody said, Hey, here's some medical MDMA prescribed to you. I'd be mm-hmm. hard pressed not to take it. Um, <laughs> cause woo, I will throw on some old house music and listen to like bad boy bill or DJ Kiyoki oh, or God. something. And I knew a guy, I knew a guy in college that, um, he, he was the dubstep dude. He knew every genre. He knew everything all the way down to house music. I, he sat there one time and told me an hour long, like dissertation of the different types. And was like, you know, it's just garbage and toilet noises yep. in a blender. Yes, it is. And, and then you're just doing all this to it. And the worst part was my, I love him to death. Troy, I love you, dude. But he would listen to it to do anything when he was studying, when he was driving, when he was working, when he was working out, when he was walking down the street, I assume while doing drugs, I don't know if he did any, but it would make more sense that it, you were doing drugs and liking toilet noises. Yes. But it was, but I, I hung out one time at his house and uh, he came out and he was studying 
and you just hear boom, boom, boom. I was like, how are you studying with all of that? That is, yeah, it's just, that's awful. Boots and cats the whole boots time. And and boots and cats. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got really big into it. I mean, obviously I was on a lot of MDMA ecstasy. And then um, when I finally was like, okay, I need to stop. I need to stop using all of the MDMA. I didn't stop drugs. I just stopped MDMA. And um, mm. I stopped doing that and I was listening to it in my free time, which, you know, if you're not on MDMA, I'm like, well, why would you want to ever listen? This is weird. This is, this is awful. Why do I have so many of these <laughs> CDs? Why did I think this was a good idea? Um, but, uh, whoo, yeah, this is going to be a fun one. Um, <laughs> I'm already like, let's do this. Let's, <laughs> let's get this one kicked off. Let me wipe this sweat right on off that brow. All right. Good memories. Anyway, uh, so, um, so yeah, I was doing a lot of research. Uh, I was doing a lot of research on the drug war and just its miserable freaking failures. Um, since 1980, we have spent half a trillion dollars on the drug war. Granted, we have spent more on the wars in the Middle East, but not, not, not a good argument. Um, and the rate at which, uh, sorry, uh, half a trillion dollars since 1980, uh, we've got the largest prisons, prison system in world history, but heroin and cocaine are now less expensive and more pure and overdoses and emergency room, uh, visits of emergency room mentions of drugs are at record highs and adolescent drug use has increased by 50% since 1990. Well, whenever you're saying that uh, we only spent, what was it, a half a trillion on the drug war since 1980? Right. I, I kind of think that's a skewed number because the money that we spend on the Afghanistan war with U.S. soldiers guarding poppy fields, I would toss that money into that as well. And because the Pentagon loses money all the time, you can't even say that they have an exact number on that. That's a, Okay, uh, I'll think, give you that. I'll, I will give you that. What, what was it? The, the day before 9-11, it found out that they, they were missing trillions, and then all of a sudden 9-11 happened? It, for all the conspiracy theorists people out there, 9-11 happened. I'm not going to even say what I know, uh, like if I know anything, but it, you should worry about that number. Now that we're years past, we should worry about that number. That number's terrible. And that was prior to Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we're still in those 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 conflicts and there's still trillions drained. And, and so I have to toss all that money into that as well. Right. Um, so, I mean, we've just spent an exorbitant amount of money, like an insane, idiotic amount of money on this drug war. And you've got people like the Keebler elf, Jeff Sessions, who's out there going, we need to keep marijuana illegal and we're going to go after the States. I don't actually and know. Only uh, good people don't smoke marijuana. <laughs> yeah. Good it's, people don't uh, smoke. And, and by the way, as a man from, I'm originally from Mobile, Alabama, um, uh, which is where Jeff is from. Uh, I will apologize. Um, uh, Mobile and Alabama as a state should have done a lot more to prevent the rise of Jeff Sessions. Um, <laughs> And uh, my sincerest apologies, there was only so much I could do from now living in South Carolina. Um, and I did meet him personally. Um, Is he four feet he nice tall? Guy. No, he, well, I was younger then, uh, so I was a little shorter. Um, he's actually, I think he's about my height, but he definitely is a Keebler elf. Yeah. He's the tallest Keebler elf I've ever seen. But he, and he was a nice guy back then. I was a Republican. I, I was 
cheering on with with McCain and the friends. And um, that may rest in hell. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but um, but Jeff, sorry, <laughs> sorry about Jeff. Oh, uh, you know McCain is in hell right now, going bomb Iran, bomb him. <laughs> like you know that's happening right now. He's got like well, a direct. He's, he's got a direct line to Bolton, and he's like, "Hey Satan, <laughs> cool if I called John up and, and hey Bolton, get him to do it. Get him to do it." He, he's probably plotting uh, bombing of of. Um, oh no, I lost it. What was what's the um, Asgard? He's <laughs> he's trying to he's trying to bomb some other like uh, a mythical place or something. He's got to be uh, still working those 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 talking points. Bomb, 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 Thor. Yeah. What a what a what a bastard. He yeah he's a bastard. He's... I will say though, when he died, I don't celebrate death. No. Um, I I find all lives are valuable. Yes, even Hitler's. It's unfortunately what he did with his life. Life is valuable. I hate that people choose to take their uh, their lives and and ruin others with it. Um. The only thing I'll celebrate is that he can't hurt people anymore. So thank God for that. Exactly. Um, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I a hundred percent agree on that. Like even, even when we killed Osama, like when we went in mm-hmm. and uh, Obama ordered the hit, which apparently made Obama a hero, even though I'm pretty certain anybody would have made that call. Um, yeah. I like, I'm, I'm a libertarian who doesn't believe in the death penalty. And I'm pretty certain if they're like, We've got Osama locked down. I would have been like, all right, do it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's in those situations. I don't pass judgment in those moments, mm-mm. but it's it's I, I mourn the loss of a life that should have done uh, uh, good with that chance at life. Like that's and, and I have to clarify because people hear the statements and go, oh, my God, he likes Hitler. Like, no, I, no, no, obviously. Uh, but I, I mourn the, the loss of potential. Right. in those lives because they could have done so many cool things so many awesome things but then they just chose to use that chance they have at life for just total barbaric evil and and i'm glad that the barbaric evil can never be uh, uh, brought on by them but but mourn the the fact that their life was wasted right on, on bullshit so nixon was the one who kind of got the drug war kicked off yeah because as as we all know the great Republican President Richard Nixon, who Ooh. expanded <laughs> expanded government like on on scale on on par well not on par with FDR but you know you're a conservative man uh, but you expanded that government like you were a liberal. Um, well, there's not been a Republican president that shrank government. No, I mean you can go back as much. As, I've always found the paradox of the Southern Republican really fun. Um, they, uh, and not all of them, obviously, but there's a good handful. They love the Confederacy and then brag about Lincoln. And I go, I, man, I don't really understand how you're doing all this, but, um, I think, I think it's important when you're talking about the drug war, you have to rewind back to the thirties, um, with Henry Anslinger and reefer madness later on and all this, this crazy nonsense. Uh, people don't know, uh, Henry Anslinger was actually, I believe it was the, it was, uh, he was the head of the, uh, what would then 
morphed kind of into was the groundwork for the DEA. Right. He was the head of the Treasury Department, which is crazy when you think about that, but it's because it's tax evasion in this this aspect. I think it was cocaine and heroin were the was the department. He was the head of the cocaine and heroin department um, uh, task force or whatever the, the hell they wanted to call it. And well, as most people know, there's not a ton of heroin and cocaine addicts uh, running around doing a bunch of stuff. And generally, you don't know when when there are. Um, so his job was in jeopardy. And apparently he was finding uh, a, a reason to have a job. So he and a few others started uh, making this propaganda campaign against cannabis. And they started making sure they called it marijuana because marijuana is, uh, from what I understand, is the um, Spanish term or the Mexican term for um, cannabis. Right. And so th their link was racially motivated. What they said was that black people, and of course they didn't say black, they said a bunch of awful stuff. Um, when black folks would smoke marijuana, they would get into a fit of rage and they would uh, thirst for uh, white blood and rape white women. And they were trying to scare all these people. And right. then they, they made sure that you knew the xenophobic part of this is they would say marijuana over and over and over and over again because they wanted you to get the link from Mexicans coming through to America and bring in this evil devil's lettuce that had been here all along and had been used in medications and all these other things forever. They made sure that the correlation was made between Mexicans and, and cannabis because – and the funniest thing in the world is this is the, the biggest contradiction I've seen uh, since the Starburst commercial, the Scotch-Korean. They said that when Mexicans smoked this, they became lazy. And then that's where the sleep in Mexican whole thing came from. They would become lazy and, and sleep, but they also uh, uh, became axe murderers and thirsted for white blood as well. So uh, anybody that smoked cannabis was a murderist, rapist, uh, lazy person. Somehow, somehow being lazy so, yeah. and all of those things. Somehow the dichotomy of these two things were supposed right. to match up, but nobody's a lazy, like you can't be a lazy axe murderer. That's it can't work unless there's a button you just kind of press. Like that's about as close as you can get to it. Well, maybe but, like if you're Jason, cause I mean, he just kind of sauntered while he like in the Friday the 13th films, he just kind of sauntered along and somehow caught up to the girl that was running because she would fall six times. And he was like, ah, I thought you were talking about Jason Lyon. I was oh. like, well, his back's broken. There's no way he's going to be an ax murderer. That's true. He, he, <laughs> he definitely won't be an ax murderer. But, but with with the drug war, they, they started all of these. The, the reason why, and a lot of people, they don't understand why is it so entrenched that, that weed is so bad for you. It's because there were several studies that the government was trying to pay for to get it like, come on, like, let's let's get let's see results. But whenever you want a certain result, you will skew any evidence you have towards your your preferred finding. And there's one study and I wish I remembered it. Uh, I'll try and find it and send it to you and, and uh, I'll try and post it as well. But there was a study where they took a bunch of monkeys and they put essentially a gas mask on their face. And then they had um, cannabis smoke pumped through the mask. Well, it's covering their nose and mouth and all they're getting is smoke. And they would pump it in. I think it was 15 minutes straight. And uh, there's not a lot of oxygen when that happens. And, and this is all rough remembering. But what happened was go figure when you don't get a lot of oxygen to your brain, brain cells start to die. Some of the monkeys died. Others were retarded. And, and sorry, the political correctness, but they're, they're, they were mentally retarded because of the dead brain cells coming from lack of oxygen. 
So they basically asphyxiated all of these monkeys and said, cannabis did it. It was weed. You're going to die. But it was the only time they were ever able to create that level of a uh, of, of a disaster related to cannabis. They had numerous other ones in the 30s and beyond that did multiple, multiple studies. And they were like, yeah, we um, just kind of calmed down, chilled out, and really just kind of sat there. And it's not much. And no, they were fine. About three hours later, they were totally cool. But yeah, no, I don't know what happened with those monkeys. But they, they said, oh, this study here shows that these monkeys died. And they said, we fed them all this weed. But they don't, they leave out the, the crucial part of they suffocated these monkeys until they all died or became retarded because of the, the lack of oxygen. And that's where the, the drug war later was, was reefer madness. All this was, was all pushing this all towards the seventies when initially, when, when eventually the, uh, the war on drugs started with Nixon. Right. And that was like the landmark, you're going to die if you smoke weed. And I don't know how in a culture that prior to all of this was using cannabis on the regular where the founding fathers were, were growing hemp and cannabis uh, uh, spe- specifically for the use of hemp for all of its uses. And, and so they didn't know a, a lot of them, but then also cannabis for medical procedures and, and all these other things. Like, it, how do you go from this is a useful thing to all of a sudden this is the, the biggest evil the world has ever seen? Right. And it's bizarre. Yeah, and it's the hypocrisy that I see from many of the boomers that are out there. Uh, they talk about how bad marijuana is. They're like, marijuana is terrible. And I'll be like, yeah, did you smoke it? Yeah, I smoked it. Yeah, I smoked it. <laughs> I, and then they get like, they, much like me, they, they, they like start uh, reminiscing and they'll be in those. Like, <laughs> yeah. That Omen brothers concert was pretty cool. <laughs> and, like, I used to come home after a long day of work and I had this really big puffy chair and I would kind of lean back in it. And I'd put my headphones on and I would get high and then I would put on side two of uh, the Beatles Abbey Road. Have you ever heard that album? And I'm like, yeah, like all of the time. And then and I would put that on. I would just kind of lean back and close my eyes and I would listen. And whenever I was, whenever I was smoking the dope, like I would hear things that they, I didn't hear when it wasn't there. And, you know, it was a really good feeling. It, you've heard Pink Floyd before, but you haven't heard <laughs> Pink, Pink Floyd, Floyd before. <laughs> But but don't do it. It's terrible for you. Right. It's really bad well, for you. It's awful. And anybody that does it deserves to be in jail. Uh, because good people don't smoke weed. Good, also, Jeff Sessions, just take a Tylenol. I, I told my mother about that one time, and she did not believe me that that happened. And I sent her the link, and she goes, oh, Jeff. Because she, she likes Jeff Sessions and all that stuff, and I love my mom. But Jeff, Jeff's a jerk. Yeah. Again, I apologize for Jeff. <laughs> nothing I can do. Yeah, at this point, there's nothing anybody can do. Jeff Sessions is Jeff Sessions. Um, Thank God he's not in office anymore. Right. Um, I, uh, I I was reading, so like 1970s, 19, so the 1930s was actually when it kind of got started, when everything first started kicking off. But the 1970s was uh, Nixon uh, trying to end the hippies. And he's like, I'm just going to have them all arrested. And cause they all smoke. <laughs> the G-men are coming through. Right. Um, so since Nixon and the war on drugs got started and 
Nancy Reagan came out and she said, all you have to do is just say no, you know, cause that works. Um, I mean, it does. Like if you say no, nobody's going to bother you. Also real quick. I know everybody's seen this meme. I am really disappointed by the lack of free drugs. I have been offered as an adult that I was told as a child was going to happen. And, and where's all of this Halloween candy I keep hearing about? I, I couldn't tell you how many times I was having a boring ass Halloween and not one time as a kid while I was dressed up as a ninja or, or, or a, a, a Dracula or any of these others, was I ever offered uh, unwrapped uh, weed candies. No. It, and, and God bless the people that send that out there because man, that's expensive. Right. That is an expensive trick to play on people. Yeah. Like I don't think the people that send that out understand how much drugs actually cost. <laughs> It just for for you to smoke it, it's it's way way cheaper. That's why most people smoke it. Yes. Uh, but for for an edible and all this other stuff, it my God, it is that is like you could blow a paycheck uh, on making a decent batch of stuff. Oh yeah. And, and I'm not I'm not the guy to make all that kind of stuff or do it. But uh, my God, I'm one of the the uh, straight uh, straightest laced uh, libertarians you'll see. I. Damn near don't do anything. I, I left my beer in the in the fridge. I was going to drink it on uh, on the show, but uh, I, I forgot it. But it's crazy that all of these rumors keep circling every single year, and not one time has anybody been. I think there was the one lady who got caught um, handing out uh, brownies for free, and I can't remember where it was. And when she got caught, she had the happiest smile on her face, right? Because obviously she was high as hell, but. But and people were going, oh my God, she was tricking people. Like, actually, if you look at what the article said, she was telling them this is an edible. It has weed in it, and people were like, oh sweet, <laughs> right? I will take that. Um, <laughs> yes, please. But yeah, so 2017. If you had to take a guess, we're going to say that's 50 years ish after the drug war started, officially got kicked off. How many people? Uh, died of accidental overdoses in 2017. From injecting the weeds? From injecting the weeds. Mm, I'd have to say at least negative three. <laughs> <laughs> three people came back to life or something. <laughs> that's actually probably, that's probably accurate for injecting the weeds. Uh, but for any other type of drug, accidental drug overdose, how many, how many deaths? In 50 years? Uh, no, just, just in 2017. 50 years. Oh, just in 2017. Yeah, just in 2017. I would, and died from it, not just had an OD and came back. I would say probably of 350 million roughly in the U.S., I'd probably say maybe 10,000 would be pushing pushing my numbers. 72,000. Thousand? 72,000. Okay. 72, it's a wee bit more. It's but only, that's why I also preface 350 million, million. people, 72,000 people. 72, yeah. 72. Most people died of diabetes. Right. Now <laughs> I would like to know, cause that's just a stat that I found on, um, I think it was on the DEA's website. Um, so 72,000 people. I want to know the breakdown on how many of these people died, uh, from heroin cocaine how many of them died from fentanyl how many of them died from 
prescriptions. How many of them died from, you know, I want to see the breakdown on that 72,000 because it just says accidental drug overdose. So this could be things that doctors have been prescribing. This could be uh, tainted drugs. This could. I want to see the number. I want to see the number of intentional overdoses. That's a good That's point. That's got to be, it's, it's a very small number of the suicidal folks, but do you really have to put accidental in front of that? I don't think there's not a whole population of people that are trying to die doing the drugs. They're just trying to escape a bad situation generally. Right. And I mean, if I'm going to do it, well, I'm not even going to do it, but I mean, if like that would be, the, <laughs> the, that would kind of go, if you're going to go, <laughs> Doesn't we'll that sound like a nap? Right. That sounds like a much better way to go than any other way. Uh, I, yeah, by far. And I'm not recommending, we here do not support the idea of you doing that. Please don't. And definitely don't yeah, leave and, a note saying it was because of Matt and Shane. And and as a person that, that uh, and I'm open about this, that nearly committed suicide back in the day, um, uh, stuff gets better. Um, you can just leave all of the stuff that's, uh, bringing you down behind. It's really awesome. Whoops. It's okay. We had this great picture of you with your sunglasses there for a second. Nice. Yeah. I've got, I got somebody calling me. I'm going to have to tell them to hold on. Right. Um, but, but yeah, you have like, um, you lost a train of thought now. Anywho. Uh, oh yeah it gets better things get better please don't don't commit suicide it's it's honestly like you only got one shot if you believe in reincarnation fine you only have one shot in in this life do the best you can with it and uh i've seen firsthand uh how bad suicide can affect people right um do do your best to to keep keep holding on because you affect a lot more people than you think yeah i like i also came very I, I more than contemplated but just shy of attempting like i was i, I was right there in that one one tiny mm-hmm. 10 seconds of a time period in which the contemplation and attempt i was right there and um yeah it gets better it really does like that it, it can you just have to be the one to do it Right. You have to be the one to do it. Nobody else can help you out of this. You've got to snap yourself out of it. Yeah. Seek help if you can. If you can. Um, call a friend. Let them know. Do the best you can to get out of it. And contrary to the jokes I've been making on this entire show, drugs aren't the answer to fix it. Like, they actually will make no. it worse. <laughs> they will make it worse. But, um, but yeah, no, like, yes. Uh, it, it will definitely get better. Um, now, that, now that we've given our... Mandatory PSA, PSA. <laughs> or mandatory. Well, well, back to the drug war. When you said "just say no" by Nancy Reagan, right? There's an awesome clip for any Ron Paul fans out there, and I wish I could remember the name. My memory of specific people and all this stuff is bad, except for Ron Paul and Anslinger. Apparently, um, Ron Paul ran in 1988, I believe it was, as the Libertarian Party yeah. presidential candidate. And he was on this show, and if, if I could remember the name, I'd tell it to you, because it's an awesome clip, and it's literally him sitting on this show. It's a Jerry Springer-type show where people yell at people, at the audience yells at the, at the people on stage. And the, um, the Jerry Springer-type guy antagonizes every exit all on because it's, it's reality TV back in the 80s. People think that it started in the 2000s, and they couldn't be more wrong. 
Um, and so this um, Ron Paul's on there and he's telling people, uh, this guy says, just say no. And he says, just say no, you say no. Don't have the federal government go around telling you what to do. And then this, this kid who's like, he's a little overweight, maybe in his 20s. He gets up there and he starts saying, I think uh, uh, he starts kind of insulting Ron Paul. And Ron Paul goes, you know what? How about this? You think that we need drug uh, drug control? How about this? Why don't the government come in and tell you how to eat? Because apparently you're a little overweight and you need to lose some weight. And what we'll do is we'll create a program. And it just insulted this kid. And he goes, as Ron Paul is so nice. Mort- and, and Morton Downey Jr., according to Spike Cohen. That's what it was. Go and look up that clip. You've seen, look up Ron Paul if you haven't heard of him. Uh, today, <laughs> to listen to them, and and then go back and watch that. It's two totally different people. If you are watching this show and this is the reason you found out about Ron Paul, that will actually be the greatest moment of my life, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I've said them enough. They better they better go look them up. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, like with Trump uh, recently in March, um, talking about uh, making drug cartels, terrorist organizations. Um, right. Insane. Absolutely insane. That that would even be, there's, there's people, there's people in your neighborhood that would then be connected to quote unquote terrorism. There's people you see on a daily basis at yeah. the grocery store and otherwise civilians, American citizens that while we're all subject, unfortunately to the NDAA, which if you don't know, you should go look that up. It's an insane, insane document. Uh, and the the Patriot Act and all these others, we're already subject to all of this stuff unconstitutionally as it is, which uh, whether it be one thing or another, it's unfit to exist. Um, if you listen to Jason's show, you've heard him give me a shout out on that. But yeah. but we're already subject to all of this. Now you'll be subject to the drone strike level uh, uh, animosity that the U.S. federal government shows towards terrorists. Yes. And now you can't have these no knock raids. Fuck a warrant. These guys are coming up and snatching your kid in, in class and, and, and your whole they're going to investigate everything in your life. It's, yeah. it, you're looking at a domestic war on terror, uh, uh, the likes you've never seen. If this designation goes on, it opens that that big gaping hole to this this whole idea. It's insanity. Yeah, it's and much so much like when when Obama killed Osama, uh, Terrorism did not end. <laughs> Weird. Weird how, Weird you know, it's like, oh, yeah, he's dead. Terrorism's over. Yay, we won. No, that's not what happened. Instead, you had all the different factions that had broken off and splintered in uh, Syria. Just everything going on in Syria and Hezbollah and ISIS, and, like just all Al-Qaeda and every, everywhere, everywhere, all of them had just fractured off into all these different area, uh, all these different factions, each one apparently crazier than the last. And it's just what? like, apparently Osama was the one that was like, Hey guys, let's, uh, let's, let's calm this down. <laughs> you, you shut the hell up. You shut the hell up. We've got a thing we got to do. And then they, 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 they get rid of him. And all of a sudden it's splinters. Right. And, and with that, what people don't understand. And I say this for, for the conservative people that might be listening, the U S created Osama bin Laden. Yeah. The U.S., they didn't birth them or anything. Um, the U.S. created al-Qaeda as we know it today. The U.S. created ISIS as we know today. What they did was it, when the Soviets were attacking Afghanistan, they armed the Mujahideen, which was the rebel group in Afghanistan, fighting against the Soviet invasion because the Soviets were known to just invade anybody they wanted the territory of. 
And um, that's weird. That sounds like some other country I know. That's weird. It's like we lured them into our their own Vietnam, which is exactly what they said they wanted to do to the Soviets. Right. Um, so we gave Osama bin Laden and friends all of the, it. Sounds like a TV show now. Um, all of these weapons. Worst sitcom ever. <laughs> Osama and friends. Um, I hear the the ending's a real banger. Um, but um, so they have all of this backing. They're the rebel group in in Afghanistan. They grow uh, uh, exponentially, and they actually kind of die off. When we got into Afghanistan, Al Qaeda. If you listen to Scott Horton, he'll say over and over again. And um, and he's even got a book out, uh, "Time to End the War." Uh, Fool's Errand: Time to War in the War in Afghanistan. Um, you can look all of this stuff up. Af- uh, uh, Al Qaeda in Afghanistan was incredibly small it was probably 400 people strong we invaded they grew past 4,000 like exponentially because what we did is we killed the families of people that are now desperate because their families are killed now they just want revenge they jump on any bandwagon that's ready to kill an american and we created all of this then we topple uh, uh iraq's uh government as bad as saddam hussein was much like osama bin laden in that moment he was holding some stuff together as terrible as he is um and so then the Ba'athist Party military guys that now don't have a job, they hook up with the now ex-Al-Qaeda uh, uh, folks and create ISIS. That's how ISIS was so organized, is they had ISIS fighters that were like, hey, we're crazy as shit. And the Ba'athist guys were like, ah, we know how to do crazy shit. Let's do this. And then you had this whole reign of terror. And the U.S., if you go and you look at Syria, when I was on the radio uh, last year or so, every chance I got, I tried to tell over and over again in conservative-ass South Carolina, in Syria, we are bombing areas that uh, help ISIS and all these moderate rebels. We've been helping these terrorists, whether directly or indirectly, we've been helping them. And the best case scenario is for us to leave it alone lest it turn into Libya, uh, where we have uh, slavery now back uh, in fashion, unfortunately. Yeah, when you, uh, when you said, um, you know, we're, we're crazy as shit, and the Bathist said, well, we like to do crazy shit, let's, let's do it. Immediately, I was like, man, that's like my last three relationships. <laughs> See, it's natural. Yeah, I mean, the you got to find that right kind of crazy for you. You might be a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty certain that I'm going to walk through TSA pretty much every time. Um, <laughs> See, I've never flown. I just assume at this point, due to my Facebook uh, post, that I'm I'm on every no-no list possible. So, yes, I get I get the extended search a lot. Like they go oh, word. they go through my bag every time. It doesn't help that I'll wear like a taxation is theft hat or shirt or something or yeah, enemy of the state. Right. That'll definitely go well. <laughs> or uh, socialism sucks or something, you know, something along those lines, something that really let them know. One day I was in there. Socialism sucks with an NRA hat on. I don't even like the NRA. I was just wearing it to piss them off. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was there for a while. I almost missed that flight. Uh, and I was getting some <gasps> dirty looks from some people around me while I was sitting there like, just taking pictures and documenting this. Like, Isn't it crazy that now like saying socialism sucks is controversial? I know. It's so weird. Like, how's it, I, see, and what I want is I've never been on a flight, but I'm, I'm gearing up for the eventuality of that. 
and I'm ordering soon the it's not gay if it's TSA shirt so that I can opt out and make them waste their time. I'll get there three hours ahead of time so this dude can has to uh, uh, fill me up to get me onto the plane. I'll get a little something out of it. He gets to waste his time. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. Right. My buddy uh, Nick Tumbalides, uh from uh, U.S. Term Limits. Uh, he posted today, I believe that was today. I saw it today. Uh, he posted today. He goes, TSA really didn't like it when I was getting the inner leg, uh, pat down when I said, I'm getting the full Biden experience. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. Good for you, Nick Tombolides. You're, you're, I still believe your wife is fake, but, uh, you know, good, good for you for coming up with great jokes. Uh, <laughs> Or, or getting some from the TSA. One of the two. Right, I mean, Everyone worked. You know, like, I don't like Nick Sarwark at all. But, yep. yeah. But in one of the speeches I was in attendance for, he said, uh, you know, make them, make TSA do their job. I show up early. I, I refuse to go into the scanners because TSA is going to do their job and hopefully you know, one of them will go a little bit further and I'll get a rub and tug from the TSA agent. And you don't even have to pay for it. I know, I mean, you did. But... It's prepaid. (laughs) I mean, you're already paying for the service. Yeah, it's on credit. You may as well use it. Guaranteed that that, uh, if if you start making small noises, little moans here and there, guaranteed they wrap it up pretty quick. But, or you find a new friend, one of the two. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that would depend on the TSA agent. <laughs> if you start moaning, like showing like some sort of like enjoyment in it, like <laughs> it could last a little longer than you had intended. Like, All right. Well, I guess we're here now. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, oh so. Oh, yeah. So killing Obama, Osama, killing Obama, killing Osama didn't end terrorism, uh, killing cartel leaders or, you know, drug dealers that you are now calling terrorists isn't going to end drugs. It's just going to open up the market for more drug dealers and terrorist leaders and cartel leaders and everything else. It's just going to have people splintering and battling for territories. Well, you're also what you're going to do is you're going to create. Uh, much like we saw with the um, the explosion in uh, uh, population of terrorist organizations, Boko Haram and all these others, as we start uh, messing around in their neighborhoods and killing innocent people and children, and, and people don't understand this. Uh, I think it was under Obama, we had a drone strike that um, uh, we, we threw at a wedding uh, trying to kill a terrorist and missed. We yep. missed. We didn't kill him. We killed 100 people. And I, I'm an anarchist. I shouldn't be saying we, but the American government, um, which is separate from the country, if anybody would like to know that, hit me up. I'll tell you. Um, the government itself shot this drone, this 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 uh, a drone strike in and killed a hundred innocent people or innocent people. Sure, there might have been one or two that would have been involved, but generally it was men, women, children, yeah. uh, elderly, young, all these people indiscriminately killed. And then when they noticed they missed. They waited for the funeral and then bombed that. So now if you want to bring that to the border, which if we have a border crisis as it is right now, uh, notice the heavy uh, uh, quotations there, um, get ready for drone strikes uh, in sovereign uh, Mexico. You're going to have uh, – Mexico doesn't allow the U.S. in there often to do stuff. They like to have a lot of control. But if it gets called a terrorist organization, you're going to have a U.N. coalition up your ass in a minute. Right. 
and and now you have now you've made the cartels into terrorist organizations. Now you have these desperate individuals that will it would could have been just a regular person is now radicalized not in Islam, not in uh, uh, radical Catholicism or, or whatever they would be down in Mexico. It's going to be radical people that hate America because not only has the drug war raped their lands for for fifty plus years, now you're now you're going to have the war on terror begin in their their backyards, and now you've multiplied the uh, the, the problem. It's just it's a recipe for disaster. And and to kind of wrap it like to wrap it all up, the easiest way you can fix all of this, the easiest way you can fix all of this, is to legalize, decriminalize drugs here, allow them to be processed here, allow people to buy them. Oh, you got the little doo -doo -doo noise in your ear. I know that noise. Yeah, uh, no, I gotta, I gotta re, I gotta recharge them one at a time. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know that noise. Um, legalize and decriminalize. Uh, allow it to be manufactured here. Allow it to be sold here without prescription, without having to get some special license from the king saying yes, you're allowed to buy these things or are allowed to sell these things, and allow me to go into 7-Eleven and purchase my gram of cocaine or my quarter ounce, man, I haven't bought weed in a really long time, a uh, quarter ounce of weed. <laughs> or I was like, I don't know what, that doesn't come in grams, does it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know a, a, allow us to go into Wal Walgreens or Walmart and purchase these things because the, and again, libertarians, anarchists, whatever, we don't like taxes, but, but. I'm going to boo you in a second. I know. I know. <laughs> Just amount spent annually on the drug war, 47 billion plus, 47 billion plus. If you were to do something so against Liberty that you would tax me for doing something that I enjoy doing. It is estimated that if drugs were taxed at rates comparable to alcohol and tobacco, it would be $58 billion. That is a swing of $116,000. If math serves, no, 106, wait, $106 billion. This this is the part where the numbers start going across your face yeah. as you try to do the math. Right, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I, I'm like trying to do new math now in my head. <laughs> common Core math. Uh, common Common Core has really fucked me up. I don't know what I'm doing right, anymore. Right, yeah, I've never even done. Yeah, a hundred and six billion dollar swing. If you were to tax it like alcohol and tobacco, not that I'm saying do it, not that I agree with it, but that's fucking retarded. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it. And and again, uh, like I said earlier, if you look at uh, like the Afghan war and the money spent there on the war on drugs, you actually would save even more, uh, presumably, if you were also to couple that with getting the hell out of Afghanistan. Right. And and all of the, the lead ins that happen there, if you allow uh, pharmaceutical companies to start uh, growing uh, poppy here. Uh, uh, recreationally, not recreationally, but uh, commercially or recreationally. I don't care if you want to shoot up heroin or do whatever the hell you want to do. I don't care. It, and, and, and for those that might be new to libertarianism, if you're listening to this, good on you for, for sticking, I guess, this far with it, uh, with this episode. There's been some crazy shit we said. <laughs> um, 
But the whole idea of, of ending the war on drugs is not so that we can all go down to the corner store and get a, a bag of dope and start shooting up and whatever. No. What it is is this is a health crisis. There are people, addicts, that are dealing with issues that we could better serve them instead of arresting them and throwing them in jail. We could be helping these people. If you look at uh, my favorite one is Portugal in 1995, which is wild when you think about how long the war on drugs has been going on here and how violent it is. They had, and I believe uh, it's been a while since I've cited this, but 1% of Portugal's population was in, was addicted to heroin. Yep. And um, and again, I might be skewing these numbers, but they're, they're big numbers. Don't even, <laughs> it's, it's tremendous numbers. They're huge. The huge the numbers, numbers. The best numbers out of Portugal. <laughs> Portugal had huge Huge heroin addicts. Huge addiction. Huge addiction huge, problems. Tremendous, and we fixed it. And and uh, so what they did was they they uh, decriminalized or they legalized um, the usage of in carrying in uh, quantities uh, to a quantity limit of all drugs, all illicit drugs. And what they did is, and I'm not suggesting that we go along with their full model, but the idea remains the same. They used a socialist model for they, – they looked at it at a health crisis level, and they said these people are running away from problems in their life. They're unhappy. Why do people use drugs? Let's find that out. Why do they use drugs? Oh, well, they want to kill people. Well, that's not it. That's obviously not it. Otherwise, they would have been injecting other people with drugs uh, to kill them, not themselves. Um, so what they found was people were unhappy in their life. They didn't have a good job. They weren't educated. They didn't have anywhere to live. There were there, all of these factors. So they created uh, 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 government programs to help subsidize those type of ideas, and they got the vast majority of addicts to uh, drop the habit, clean up, and be better. Because not only did it take away the coolness factor of doing drugs, it all uh, of the young ones that were like, "Oh, can't do a drug," and I'm cool kid, I do it anyway. Right. They took away that whole uh, uh, veil. They took away the um, the criminality of it. So whenever somebody used. They didn't put them in jail and ruin their entire life with a felony and you can't get a job now, which is what we're doing in America. So now the only job they knew was drugs. So now to feed their habit or uh, uh, to now make money for rent and everything else, they had to sell drugs. So you have this chain and they broke it. And now they have a better their, – their police chiefs were all against it. Um, plenty of people came out and they actually uh, caught up with them. I think it was a decade later with this article, and they said, "How is it?" And those same police chiefs were going, "Man, I thought the hell the world was going to hell." Whenever they said that this was going to happen, and we've actually seen crime associated with drugs drop drastically. Yep. People stopped breaking into houses as much. They stopped uh, mugging people. They stopped uh, trying to feed their habit, and they started trying to feed themselves because they said, "Oh, this is a health crisis, not a criminal crisis." Right. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things. Like you, you hear it all the time, um, especially especially from people on the right, uh, especially from conservatives, because I hear it all the time from conservatives. I have never heard a liberal when I'm defending legalizing all drugs. Like some of some of the liberals will be like, I don't know if everyone I talk to in South Carolina is like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> like some of them will be like, I don't know about heroin and cocaine, and I'm like, well, the way I see it. There is zero difference in between coming home from a day of work, being all wound up and like you're stressed. There is zero difference in my mind of sitting down with a glass of Jack Daniels on the rocks and to take the edge off or shooting a needle into your vein to take the edge off. I see zero difference in those two things. Yep. Now, 
everybody's like, yeah, but people who commit, who do drugs commit more crimes, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, the crime isn't doing the drugs. The crime is them breaking into the house or them committing the mugging or them committing the murder. That's the crime, not them doing the drugs. If they, yep. if they are addicts, if they're using, have not committed a crime, they are not criminals in my mind. It is once they go on to do a crime that if a sober person did it, it would also be a crime. That is when the crime then commences. The, the crime isn't the act uh, prior to the crime. It's the actual crime and then the effects of it. It's, right. it's, it's same with uh, DUIs. The, um, the drinking wasn't the issue. It was the action of getting behind the wheel. It was the action of getting in the wreck. It was the result was, of their decisions. Even, st- not even the still. Alcohol. alcohol doesn't kill people. Uh, it's the person consuming the alcohol that kills people or themselves. Right. And even still, like, if you have a couple of drinks, like, 0.08, I blew past 0.08. Like, that, that was a nothing for me. That was nothing. And I would drive all the time, probably at 0.1 or 0.12 or 3 or whatever. I don't know. I would do that all the time. The crime isn't driving intoxicated. The crime is committed when you actually break the law, get into the accident, mm-hmm. speed, like whatever the crime is that you are committing, even though I don't think uh, speed limits should be a thing. But like whatever the crime <laughs> is that like if you – jump a curb and you wreck somebody's property. If you uh, hit somebody and it kills them, if you get into a car accident, yes. In that case, yes, you have now committed a crime. If you're intoxicated and you get behind the wheel of a car, I honestly don't think you're committing a crime right there. I, I will say, and, and I thought the same, uh, I don't think it's criminal necessarily, mm-hmm. but uh, because I believe in the non-aggression principle, a friend of mine, Brent DeRitter, and for anybody, and I say this every time I mention him, if you don't know Brent DeRitter, please go friend Brent DeRitter, get to know this guy. He's fantastic libertarian, even better person. And he, he opened my eyes to a different side of the argument. It isn't necessarily, it shouldn't be a crime legally, but it is a violation of the non-aggression principle because what you're doing is you're directly putting other people in undue harm when you're driving on these roads and all this, if you're on your private property, no big deal, whatever, you could be endangering other people and they have the right to stop you. That's where you, you go with all this. If a guy is getting into his car and he's pissed drunk, I have zero problem with people trying to hold him back, steal his keys and keep him safe. I've got zero problem. It's the same thing as somebody trying to jump off a bridge and stopping him. What you're doing is you're trying to defend that person or others from Uh, this terrible action. So I have, uh, I would much rather have a situation where people are tackling each other to keep them from driving uh, uh, and not worrying about uh, the police getting involved in it being a a fight. Um, It's a NAP violation. It's a non-aggression principle violation for you to do all of this. And it should be a community thing where that person is ostracized. That person is uh, punished uh, with reputation uh, 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 damages. And and you can that whole mugshot nonsense that the government does, the community level should be able to say this person did this horrible act. And uh, we're all banding together to say that he's not allowed to do this, that or the other because of those actions. And it just be personally uh, um, uh, carried out, because when people deal with these issues, they generally try to keep violence out of the situation. 
when the when the government at any level whatsoever gets involved in anything, there is always and, and I said this earlier, every law I said this in a, a Facebook post. You actually uh, all I, you I believe that you said this on our show, on Mine and Spike's right. show on Tuesday, and I said it on the air. Yeah. I know I know what yeah, you're Yeah, was, go ahead, say it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it, laws only create more criminals. That's right. all they do. They do not prevent anything. Otherwise, um, you could just say don't don't murder. And it will murder is already illegal and it happens anyway. You didn't actually prevent anything by making it illegal. All you did was make it a crime. That's fine with murder. But when it comes to personal actions and such, what you're doing is you're creating a criminal. And, and again, alcoholism is generally a health issue. It is not a, a uh, it's the same as a, as a drug issue. It's not a just murderous act. It's not the act of consuming that's the problem. It's the actions post that. And, and and when the government gets involved at any level, any law is backed up by the threat of a cage and at the point of a gun. Now, if you're going to say that you're for a law and Alabama, I'm looking at you, my home state, and I'm ashamed. Um, I'm a pro-life libertarian um, and you're making me argue against uh, 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 anti-abortion ideas because when the state gets involved, all you're doing is pointing a gun at people. Yep. And a law is the laziest way to enforce your opinion. The best way to do it is to try and change the culture and talk to somebody about it. Try to have a conversation. Stop screaming and yelling at people. Try and show them what you're talking about. By having a gun pointed at them, what you're doing with this law is you're saying, I am too lazy and don't care enough to go out into my community and try to convince somebody of my opinion. So what I'm going to do is convince enough of us to create a law where armed thugs run around and enforce my will on others. And that, in a nutshell, is what government is in every single level. Absolutely. I, I, well, anybody that watches... You can't be a minarchist after that. Right, yeah. Anybody that watches the show knows that I possibly could not have said that any better. Um, <laughs> Doubtful. I've, I'm not a, a great man with words. Right, it's well, still out. Yeah, I mean, that's what mine do, too, except mine have a lot of like, and, well, you know, so, but, and... <laughs> I throw See, a lot I of... caught hell while I was on the radio. People would call in, and, and on air, there was a guy named Woody, and I love him to death. I wish I could meet up with him. He only listens to the radio. He has no technology. He would call in and say, stop saying like, stop fun, stop doing this. He's like, all right, Woody, come on, man. We're live. Stop yelling at me. <laughs> so I just got broken to the habit for a while. Yeah, I I need Spike to do that to me, but uh, that would just our show already tangents off way too often that if we started like cutting what in, you mean like this one? Yeah. Weird. Right. Uh, <laughs> what's funny is normally on, on this program, it's a much more streamlined show where, you know, we kind of just stick to the, whatever issue was previously agreed upon. And you and I have just been like, ping, 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 ping. Well, when it, when it comes to these issues, there's never, and, and um, and I want to give a shout out to Hannah Cox. She, I, I didn't catch it live last week. Dude, she was my spirit animal in that moment. Yeah. I was just listening to what she was saying. I was like, oh, she said it and I couldn't. She, there was no way I could put those words out like she did. It was awesome. I, I, but, I, I feel bad about that show because I was not at my best on it. But anybody mm-hmm. who has not seen last week's episode, which was episode 36... Episode 36, Hannah Cox uh, gets writer's block. She talks about the death penalty and she said she puts forth these arguments against the death penalty that if you are on the fence about the death penalty, if you think the death penalty is a good idea, or if you just want to learn how to debate 
against the death penalty, watch this show. She it's killer. crushed it. Uh, no pun intended on the killer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, she, she crushed it. She was so good. Well, I think one of the reasons why uh, you and Spike and, and now you and I have such a hard time staying streamlined with these is the problem with libertarianism is it's not a bumper sticker. Taxation is theft. People don't really understand what we mean by that. In the Fed, they don't know what we mean by that. We have to explain it. There's too much complexity. The worst part about libertarianism is that once you find out all of these things, you realize, oh, shit, they're all connected. Every single issue is connected to the next and the next and the next. And the one I didn't bring up and I made myself not is the reason why boomers are so indoctrinated is because they all grew up with the brand new Department of Education. And now we are the ones that are having to deal with the end result of Department of Education and the dumbing down of society. No child left behind in the rest. There's a reason why when I graduated, and I'll age myself a bit, 2010 from high school, I didn't know jack shit about a thing, but I could tell you all about the Pythagorean theorem. I didn't know how government worked. That's A squared plus B squared equals C squared, right? Bam, nailed it. But now I'm afraid these kids won't even know that, which maybe that's the better part. Right. But you have government, whenever it gets involved, their truancy and all this other stuff, that's a gun pointed at the kid and the parent's head. You have uh, the DEA. That's a gun at anybody they they think might be now a terrorist. Yeah. It's it's everything that they do is who can we point a gun at now? Right. So you were the one you were the one that kept asking about what kratom is, right? No kava, because I was you were, I was okay. You were asking about you keep kava. saying kava, and I was like, is this is this some Russian meddling thing? No, it's kava. <laughs> um, so kratom, uh, it's. It's the leaf of the kratom tree. I've explained this on the show a bunch. I'm going to do it again. Uh, the leaf of the kratom tree, it comes from Southeast Asia. The the tree, uh, the leaf is uh, dried out, ground up, pulverized, turned into a powder, and it's, basically, it's made like a tea. Now, it has some really great effects. Uh, if I was at work right now, I would not say what I'm about to say because of legal reasons. But since I'm not at work, not I'm not working at the kava bar, I, I can say it here. Uh, it... It, it attaches itself to the opiate opioid receptors in the brain. It gives you s- extreme euphoria. Many people compare it to taking opiates. I don't, I've taken a lot of opiates in my life of varying degrees. It's mm-hmm. not like that, but a lot of people will compare it. The mm-hmm. DEA decided at one point to ban it. And they, they didn't know what it was. And they said, ah, hit it with a stick. Right. <laughs> they, they decided to ban it and they were just, and so, uh, or sorry, that they decided to ban it based on the recommendation of the FDA. The FDA said, we need to get rid of this. Let's ban it. So they made it a schedule one. They put a 30 day stop on it and made it schedule one. Um, during those, after the 30 days, I believe it was on day like 32 or 33 that they reversed that scheduling. The first time the DEA has ever reversed the scheduling in their history. And I, w- I was lucky enough to be one of the ones fighting. And like that was a huge win for us. That's um, awesome. During those two or three days where it was a Schedule 1 uh, banned substance, me and countless of my friends were all felons if we had been arrested. Yep. All mm-hmm. of us. Now, 30 days prior, not a felon. Two days later, 
not a felon. During that 48 to 72 hours, if we had been arrested, we all would have been felons. Laws do not stop people from doing things. They just create criminals for things that shouldn't be a crime. Yeah. It's, it's an unfortunate cycle. And, and like we said, everything's connected. Part of the Kratom fight was uh, veterans for Kratom. I remember seeing that was where I first uh, heard about it. I was yeah. like, what the hell is this? It's essentially, if, if and you already said, it, it's essentially a tea. It depends on how you want to ingest different things. You can do pretty much damn near anything with it. But um, these veterans were using it to treat uh, PTSD as people use uh, uh, LSD and, and, and various other drugs, uh, psychoactives to try and cope. And they're now finding, uh, and uh, I think it's in the UK, that um, small microdoses of LSD are helping to reverse the signs of PTSD and they're finding that it might be repairing uh, brain uh, um, damn it, uh, neurons. Uh, uh, it's uh, the shriveled up and dead ones from, from depression and just lack of, of, of uh, just any sort of issue that they're having in the brain. They're finding that it might be uh, helpful in regenerating essentially portions of the, of the person's brain that can bring them out of a depression or a PTSD uh, lifestyle essentially. Yeah. So now you have veterans at 22, by the way, it's 22 suicides a day. A day. They just had, what was it? A full bird, uh, Colonel was it that blew his brains out in the, um, in the waiting room of the Virginia VA. I think it was, I, I can't remember exactly, but it was a, they, they, they're killing themselves in the VA hospitals and the parking lots to try and draw attention to it because they're so desperate. They're trying to help somebody else by killing themselves. It's the uh, the monks in, in China do, uh, in Taiwan self-immolating. It's it's please somebody pay attention to this. You have this cry for help, and what you have from the government and from specifically AOC. And, and I'll hate on her real quick. Uh, what is it? Uh, what's what's your Chris, buddy Chris? Chris Reynolds. Chris Reynolds, attorney Chris Reynolds. at law. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm a fan of the show, so I'll bring it around. Uh, but she says it's totally fine. They're trying to fix this for the insurance agencies. Right? Why? At 22, even if it is fixing it for the pharmaceutical companies, at 22 suicides a day in the veteran community after they were promised all this help and all these things, you throw them out into uh, the worst uh, wars we've ever fought, the continuous 17-year war in Afghanistan and Iraq, and, and you have these guys come back uh, missing limbs, missing mental uh, faculties, missing all sorts of things. Their personality is gone. And this government that promised them the world the only thing they can seem to figure out how to do for these guys, send them to college. That's about the only, the GI Bill is about the only thing that they've been able to figure out. And all they do is just tippity type some numbers along and the Fed just tosses money aside. Right. And, but, but you have this, this crisis all around. And the only answer that your government can give you is violence. Spike says, saying, uh -oh. saying you graduated 10 years ago doesn't age you, jerk. <laughs> Look. Everybody thinks that I, I, oh my God, I almost fired a kid once because uh, somebody asked Shane, how old are you? I was like, how old do you think I am? And he said, 41. I was like, bro. And at the time I was like, I'm 25. Like you're fired. Get out. You're done. I don't need you here. <laughs> uh, so like Spike and I are obviously very young. Um, <laughs> very, very, very young, but both of us are significantly older than you. Um <laughs> 
I couldn't tell. So yeah, no, no, nobody can. That's why I never say my age is because nobody know. Like, I don't know how old I look. I know how old I am, and that's how old I look to me. But then I see what you did is you did the uh, the Keith Richards uh, uh, Fountain of Youth, right? Yeah, where through due to the addiction you mummified mm-hmm. uh, the youthfulness in your body. So now you're just going to age. Hey man, you might be around uh, uh, longer than Keith Richards. Who knows? Hey, you know, if, if I'm in a race with Keith Richards, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, like normally this is an hour show, but this has been too fun. So like we're, we're way over time, <laughs> but whatever. Holy crap. We are. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. Like it, it, this has been one of my favorite shows that I've ever done. It's been a great conversation. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, you are always welcome back on. If uh, you want to do a show on Mondays and Fridays, I'm thinking about getting rid of the guy that we have doing it now. and uh, uh, Whoever he is. Whoever he is. The guy with not the great beard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, and I already threw my lot in with him. Um, he and I have been tossing around, and eventually we're going to get around to it once I find time. Um I had to take the day off to be able to do this, right. unfortunately. So I'm, I'm working on it. But uh, he and I are working on a, a side project. We might be doing a podcast sooner rather than later. Yeah, um, he so actually. Hopefully, we can get that rolling. Yeah, he actually mentioned the, that to us uh, at the onset of us bringing him on, and uh, I was, I was like, yeah, bring, yeah, definitely bring Shane on because he's going to be somebody people <laughs> want to listen to. Um, <laughs> Jason, I'm kidding. Fake news. I, <laughs> Jason, I'm kidding. You're great. I love you. Don't ever say anything bad about baseball <laughs> ever again. <laughs> and I heard that moments before I started this show and I was like, oh, he's getting torn up today. <laughs> I almost fired him in our group chat. <laughs> You're fired. How dare you how, insult baseball, how, which I also hate. <laughs> how dare you insult baseball? America's pastime. I have a tattoo for the Red Sox. Just, oh God, I'm so sorry. World champs, baby. Uh, <laughs> Finally, four times this century. This, this century, it's hey, look, you're beating the Cubs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're beating the crap out of a lot of teams right now. We have more championships since 2000 than the Yankees, and. Yeah. That's fair. I do hate. Uh, see, I'm one of those people that I hate uh, popular teams just because the fans annoy me. Mm. So New England teams usually usually get it, but I am for whatever reason a Celtics fan. Don't know why. That's weird. Uh, so like like I told you earlier, I was born in L.A. So when I was like I, I'm a Rams fan, and everybody knows about our awful history. And um, well, and you're cheating of last year. You we didn't awful... cheat, brother. We you cheated. We did Who not cheat. Hit my boy. We did not cheat. The refs missed a call. That had nothing to do with LA. As long as you can actually admit that, I'm okay with it. Yeah, the refs missed that call. I will say it all day long. The refs missed that call. Anytime somebody calls the Rams cheaters, I'm like, no, they didn't. They did not cheat. <laughs> that was a cheap shot, and I hate it. And you stole the Super Bowl from us. We would have won the whole the, damn thing. The refs stole the Super Bowl from you, and, and you I don't, don't know that. I don't remember the zebra hitting my camera, hitting my uh, my player. But I remember the zebra <laughs> not throwing the flag. So <laughs> two of them, 
two of them not throwing a flag. Okay, well, we can also talk about Bastards. we can also talk about the delay game that wasn't called. We can talk about the fumble that wasn't called. Like we can. Neither one was a violent act. That is a non-aggression principle violation. I will not stand for it. Yeah, well, I felt violated. So <laughs> how you won? <laughs> yeah, but I might not have. <laughs> In the moment. In the moment, I did not know that the Rams were going to win. I, it, another tangent, but I was actually in a small bar uh, in uh, at, uh, uh, outside of Atlanta uh, watching that game. And there was this horrible, horribly looking uh, redneck with hardly any teeth uh, uh, cheering on your team. In spite of me and my dad, we were sitting in there. I've got my Drew Brees jersey and my hat, and I've got I've got gloves. I got I'm I mean I'm decked I'm decked out in my Saints gear, and she didn't she didn't care until she looked over and saw us cheering on a, a touchdown, and then all of a sudden she goes, "Boo!" And, and sounded like her husband, and it was just it. Oh my God, the small podunk town, and I can't remember what it was called. We went to a place called Godfather's, and the only reason why we went there is because we like the Godfather movies. So we went there and just had the worst time. And it was actually it wasn't really Godfather's bad. Pizza, was it? No, 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 no. It was just a small bar that okay. was called like Godfather's or something. But it was uh, uh, that trip was actually my my grandmother had passed away, so I was like, oh, maybe we'll have some happy. Oh, never mind. Oh, my life is ruined. This is an awful trip. None of this is great. <laughs> so, uh, you know, like we were talking before the show, you know, born in LA, my dad, my dad has been a Rams fan his entire life. Um, and the Rams went to the Super Bowl in 1979 against the Steelers and they lost. I was not alive for that Super Bowl. But since then, my dad and I watched, we watched the 99 Super Bowl where we beat the Titans together we watched in 2001 when we lost to the Patriots together and we haven't been back since until this year. Now this year we were getting really excited. We were going to watch, you know, we were, we were going to watch the Super Bowl together. One of his friends, unfortunately passed away like the week before, like the uh. week, the week before the uh, championship game and the funeral was over that weekend. So he was going to go spend time. What was that? Um, <laughs> Florida. You didn't see the voodoo move that I, I pulled there? <laughs> Florida and their bugs. Like, I'm so terrified of what that was because that was, that was heavy. Um, that, see, what you did was you made me remember all of this stuff. And right. I've got the voodoo doll under the table right. and I'm kicking. God, now it's just, it's, it's just there and I don't know what it was. Um, but so his friend passed away. So we didn't get a chance to watch the Super Bowl together that year. So knowing this going into it, us watching that game was our Super Bowl. Like that was me mm-hmm. and my dad doing our bonding time watching that game together, knowing we weren't going to be able to watch the Super Bowl. And it in that moment, in in those final moments of that game, uh, in overtime where we won. And <laughs> <laughs> you, you remember it. And uh <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But in those moments, like it was one of the most pure moment like my dad and I all we do is argue politics now he's a conservative boomer right so Mm -hmm. I try to stay away from politics with him whenever I go over but eventually he'll go what do you think about what Rand Paul said about trading Trump and I'm like oh god okay you brought this on yourself all right here we go let's do it 
But on this day, on this day, Rams versus Saints, NFC Championship 2019, we didn't talk politics. We didn't bring up any of that stuff. The two of us sat down and we watched a football game as father and son, like even better than, like it was two best friends watching a football game together, enjoying every single moment of the game and just feeling like nothing, none of the stuff that came along with everything else in the world mattered. And while I do feel, because what my best friend in the entire world is a huge Saints fan. He hates the Rams now because they because they cheated no they didn't um but that, it it was against the rules that to cheat <laughs> then <laughs> then every team cheats every game fake news we're we're <laughs> saints you can't you can't say that about us yeah uh, didn't you guys like get banned from the playoffs or something like that uh, it was something about Bounty Gate, but yeah. I reject that entirely because that was made up propaganda by uh, the Falcons and their uh, artificial noise in their stadium. Right. Greg Williams was artificial. Um... <laughs> well, do, let's not ever forget, no matter what happens in life, the Falcons blew a 28-3 lead. We will never forget that moment. <laughs> <laughs> but like in that, like in that moment, knowing that my best friend in the entire world was going to be really upset at me <laughs> more so than <laughs> anything else um that he was going to be upset at me uh for for this moment for me and my dad to not be fighting about whether or not we should be fighting the longest war in american history or whether or not i should be allowed to go out and buy uh marijuana or cocaine from a 7-eleven if i want to or if um we should be doing the imposing the tariffs on China. None of that stuff mattered in that moment on that day, which made it one of my favorite football games ever, even though they did miss that call. And you cheated. (laughs) (laughs) But, and and I guess to, to wrap the whole idea up is everything we've talked about, all the horrible, awful things and the, and the wishes we have for, for making the world a freer and better place. That doesn't matter where you come from sports and these bread and circuses if you're not interested in it fine don't go watch, watch game of thrones if you're not interested in it go knit in a circle i don't give a damn but we're all humans and we all coexist all at the same time and all of the things that you see um this right here your show is alternative media is what they would call it right. and and what you have here is an exploration of an idea instead of an indoctrination of the idea Instead of trying to hit you good with the bug. Yeah, I, I, I'm just curious on what it was. Like, I'm really wondering. <laughs> I told you, you made me mad about the damn game. I mean, um, I'm looking around and that that is a very valid possibility. <laughs> <laughs> if I could pull the doll out from under the table, it'd be hilarious. Um, but, but keep in mind that when you hear all of these celebrities and all the pundits, they all talk about this uh, racism is rampant and all these the sexism and all the rest of it. Go outside go look at your fellow man in the face and realize right. that it's not as bad as they're making it out to be. It's not. Yes, there's awful things going on in the world. There's hate. There's all sorts of things. But in America, it, if you're making here, – here's the thing, and Bernie Sanders would hate this because he's the 1% of America. Um, if you're making about $33,000 a year annually uh, prior to taxes, you are the 1% of the world. The 1%. You, you're the 1%. You, you are – you're the 1% of the world. In America, the poorest person that we have here has a smartphone. 
I mean, barring the people that are, are homeless and the rest, but your poorest person living living uh, in, in Section 8 housing has a smartphone, has technology, has access to the internet via a library or such. We have it so great here. And what the reason why libertarians talk so negatively is because we see this country and the communities going down the path that leads to the Soviet Union, to Venezuela, to Afghanistan, to Mexico and, and Mexico City and all the cartels. We see these issues from all of history and we go, please, let us not go the way of the Roman Empire. Okay, let's and I would rather it be secession all around the Eric July thing, but we have the possibility of all of us coming together and being good to one another. And that's really what we can we can do if we stop with the partisan bickering and we start talking about the issues without the vitriol and the hatred. Right. If I punch you in the mouth, you are not going to want to listen to the next thing I say. You're going to be swinging next. So it makes no sense to be hitting each other verbally over these things. Let's talk about it. Let's create a conversation. Let's be positive about it. And when it's all said and done, we're all passionate about what we believe in. But let's be open-minded to uh, new data and new, new ideas. But I was having a conversation at uh, the bar the other day, the Kava bar the other day, not the bar bar, but um, I said that the greatest lie that we have told everybody is that you cannot discuss religion and politics out in public because that mm-hmm. has made it taboo. Now you're defending, now you're defending yourself. Like you're defending your core belief system and you, and when somebody attacks it, you feel as though they are attacking you. You mm-hmm. need to be able to have these conversations out in public. You need to be able to talk about these things in public without insulting the person in front of Like if I am having a conversation with you and something we disagree on, which isn't going to be much, but like you and I, are, <laughs> I mean, it's just not right. But, but if we're having a conversation about something uh, that you, that you and I disagree on, if I come at you and I'm like, Oh my God, you're fucking retarded for believing that immediately you're going to want to come back and hit me back harder. And that is where the issue lies. You need to be able to have calm, regular discussions, like you're discussing your favorite movies. The greatest, the, and this is going to be for every dude out there who calls themselves an incel, the greatest pickup line in the entire world. This has a 100% success rate for me. I will say I haven't tried it often, but it's got a hundred percent success rate because it takes a lot of guts to do it. If you walk up to a girl and you ask her, do you want to go home with me? Lead with it. Do you want to go home with me? But you have to make it sound like you're offering her a piece of gum. She will look at you. Could at first she'll be shocked that you have the guts to do it. And then she'll probably say yes, or I don't know. Let's find out a hundred percent success rate. That is how we need to have conversations about politics and bars. You can't come at it like, Oh, I'm going to attack this guy. You're not Ben Shapiro trying to destroy the libs. You're not the BBC trying to destroy Ben, Ben Shapiro. You are two people at a bar trying to have a conversation in order to figure out what the other person truly believes. Well, if, if you if you treat each other with a baseline of respect, you can get a lot further. 
I have friends that still vehemently disagree with me. Right. And I hold my ground and I try to stay respectful. It's really hard to do. I'm not saying that I'm good at it. I'm not saying that if you look at uh, uh, yesterday when I was talking about the Fourth Amendment with different people that I didn't go, you're an insane moron that you do this. It's easy to slip up because it's human nature that whenever you find adversity, as, as uh, uh, Larry Sharp always puts it, you hit it with a stick. Right. It's, it's really easy to fall into those negative moments. You need to try and do the best you can to, to fight with uh, uh, positivity and ideas rather than with fists and insults. And if you can, if you can get that down, one, you'd be a better person than me, and two, you'd be a much better communicator than anyone standing on a debate stage coming uh, uh, in this next election. You, you would be far – what we sound like yeah. whenever we're shouting at each other is Donald Trump going wrong, wrong. and Hillary Clinton fainting on stage. We all look ridiculous when we're shouting at each other. But if we actually come at people with respect and we keep – I say radical stuff. I'm a radical libertarian. I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I, I believe – wholeheartedly that government is inherently evil. And I will tell anybody that will listen about it. And I lead with, and people will tell me on the radio, don't ever tell people that you're an anarchist. And I say, why? And politics is a, is a dirty word, is a dirty profession. It doesn't need to be a dirty word. Right. We should be able to have these conversations. And just because I'm different, and just because you've heard things, doesn't mean that you should have this negative connotation. So my plan is, as I'm telling people I'm an anarchist and all these things, what I'm doing is I'm breaking that mold. I'm breaking that idea. And as you're nice to these people, they hear anarchist and they think of you. When they hear anarchist, they first think of things on fire. But when you introduce yourself as an anarchist and you be positive and you're nice and you're persistent on your ideas, but with a respectful connotation to, towards theirs, they will then associate anarchy with how you act. And when you tell them that my, my version of anarchy is uh, being like I am, kind, I work with people, I trade with people, blah, blah, blah. People wouldn't know I'm an anarchist. That People don't know I'm a Christian because it's a personal thing for me. But I will tell them openly I am both of these because I want them to associate those words with what I'm bringing to the table, not what somebody else told them about it. Right. And you can break that mold, each and every one of us, if we just have a conversation with one person a day, you might be able to inspire, and anybody could do it, the next Ron Paul, which thank God that he's still alive. And I hope we find another really soon um, because he's 80 something years old and we're, we're getting to that era where who's going to fill that void. Well, we all need to fill that void. We all need to sit there and say, these are things we believe in so much that we are willing to be shunned initially uh, said, uh, said crazy things about us later. And then in a, uh, uh, be loved by by generations to come and it could just be two people that that you're affecting or it could be a hundred or a thousand you never know who you could who you could be talking to oh chat's coming off <laughs> spike hi i'm shane sweeney i want people to be nice to each other herder <laughs> <laughs> oh no you're right i should walk in with a stick and start poking people hey <laughs> what do you think have you seen spike debate <laughs> <laughs> see i love spike show because he's always he he's like me he he'll get on a subject and then roll on it and go what was i talking about yeah and then jump back into it <laughs> yeah i love like i love doing a show with spike is like, it's it is just definitely it's it's a ton of fun that like you watch us we we have i literally have more fun 
during the two hours Spike and I do that program than the rest of the week. And this week, I can honestly say that this two hours, which I was not planning on two hours, but this two hours has definitely uh, compared to the two hours I did with Spike earlier in the week. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, this honestly has been one of the, this has just been great. Like, I keep going, I should probably end this, but we just keep going and I'm like, ah, well, that's fine. <laughs> they, well, I mean, they've got everything. They got the drug war, they got... They got terrorism. They got sports talk. I mean, what else could we talk right. about I, other than yeah. real housewives? We, 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 we talked about abortion. We talked about relationships with fathers. I told, we talked about drugs. We talked about terrorism. I told them how to pick up women. Uh, like, we, we have covered... I, there's not a single... We kind of discussed movies a little bit when I said, you know, like you're talking about movies. Uh, like, we kind of covered every single subject, like umbrella that there is that I can think of right now. Well, that's because we're all thinking of the same things we just talked about. So. Right, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Don't think of a pink elephant. Uh, uh, well, again, thank you for coming. Do you have anything you need to pitch? I don't even know. <laughs> uh, well, if you're in South Carolina and you're interested in getting involved with the Libertarian Party, um, Get in touch with me on Facebook. Uh, you can find me. I'm Shane Sweeney. Um, you can just put that in. But make sure you spell it correctly. Uh, S-W-E-E-N-Y. Um, it's, written get, right uh, underneath, to, it's written right underneath your face. And they will screw it up anyway. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, everybody does. I misspelled my name, unfortunately, a few times. Um, I was not sober. Um, but then go to uh, SCLP.org, and you can learn about uh, the state's uh, platform. Uh, I'm also a writer that uh, I'm actually, once I get off of here, I'm going to actually be writing about some of the things we were talking about today uh, for uh, Launchpad Media, um, where a friend of mine, Johnny Rocket, has a, a, a whole media group of, of tons of shows. Go and look that up as well. Um, I just had an article come out, uh, uh, was it Principles Over Politics? Uh, go go on to launchpadmedia.com um, and, and look that up. But yeah, outside of that, um, hit me up if you're yeah. interested in Liberty. And Outside of that, I no, I really don't have anything to push. I don't have anything. I, dude, I do so much. Like I said, I work 12 hours a day and I'm so passionate about this stuff that any free time I have, uh, I devote a good chunk of it to loving my fiance who I'm marrying later in November. Congratulations. And then the, the thank you. And the, and the, don't, it's, don't congratulate her. She doesn't know that it's a it's a trick and that it's actually a really. I thought you were gonna decision. say she doesn't know it's happening. <laughs> she has no clue. Um, but but I spend so much time doing all these other things that I believe so strongly in these ideas that I spend every waking moment that I can uh, outside of my ob uh, obligatory survival things and and my love for her, talking about freedom, talking about liberty, and trying to just converse with people, and and. I don't need people to be like me. I just need them to start talking to each other about Liberty. Right. Don't be ashamed of it at Thanksgiving dinner. Be the crazy uncle. Don't be crazy and get drunk and start shouting at people, but be the crazy uncle that says heroin should be legal because uh, we believe in people. Right. I believe That's how you do it. I believe in the good of people, which is why I believe in Liberty. Yep. Yeah. I, be I believe there's a good side to people, but when empowered, they can be really evil. Right. Uh, cite every single government that that's, that's ever existed. I've got plenty of evidence to back up my claims. Absolutely. Yeah. There's <laughs> tons of it. Most 
the world's largest terrorist organizations. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The U.S. government is the greatest terrorist organization that's ever existed. Bring it right back around. Uh, (laughs) Well, again, thank you so much. Uh, For everybody else, you can follow us on the Facebook at facebook.com slash muddy waters of freedom. You can follow us on Twitter at muddy underscore waters. You can follow us on Instagram at muddied waters of freedom. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash muddied waters media. I feel like I'm forgetting one, but you can find this in every other episode at muddied waters of freedom.com. Jason Lyons is taking the next couple of days off. So uh, he will not be here Friday or Monday. Uh, so enjoy your four day weekend from us. Uh, and then next Tuesday, we are going to be back at eight o'clock ish for me and Spike on Muddied Waters of Freedom. Then next Wednesday, Spike has an all new episode of My Fellow Americans. And then next Thursday, join me here for next week's installment of The Writer's Block. Um, Jason, uh, Jason, Shane. Sorry. How dare you? I know. That's my bad. Your beard is so I'm much done. better. I'm done. I know. <laughs> Your beard is so much better. I apologize. Um, again, thank you so much. I, this has been great. Uh, I'm going to play the outro. If you want to hang out, cool. If not, I also understand. Uh, you've gotten like three phone calls since we've been on the phone or since we've been doing this. Um, but, uh, oh, you reset, you son of a piece of bastard. Um, <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, again, thank you. Anytime you want to come on, just let me know. You're always welcome. Will do, man. All right. Uh, everybody else have a great weekend and, uh, we will see you next week. Enjoy the narcissist cookbook. The song is called good ship. You. I am. I am. I am swinging from a seven story window. Throwing parties in a 10 by seven cell. It's a stunning Hey.